From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 38. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, simplified domain management, MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam, and GoToMeeting. Make it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by the man behind Six Colors, Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. I. Michael. How are you? I am very well, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. We had a, we had the long weekend, which in England is called the uh, a very bureaucratic name, the Spring Bank Holiday. Mm-hmm. We have many bank holidays. This one doesn't really have too much of a purpose, so it's just called the Spring one. And and the bank is is just because the banks are closed, and they felt that that was the most important thing was that the banks are closed. I have no idea why they're called that. I feel like I've looked it up once or twice, but like they're just called bank holidays. I mean. Uh, sure. Sometimes when I when I used to work in a bank, sometimes the banks were open, which didn't make any sense, but it, they were. That is that's a crime. The banks open on a bank holiday. <laughs> oh, that's madness. You can imagine how we felt. <laughs> I actually went. I was in um on this on this weekend, which I was in uh, I was in Europe. Uh, I forget when that was, two thousand four or something like that. And we ended up in Bruges in Belgium, and um and it was also a long weekend there I, for i think and i think it was something related to a church calendar thing but i think everybody sort of agrees that they're going to find a way to have the last uh monday in may off uh, as a kickoff to summer and and uh, it was funny because the banks were definitely on holiday in 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 bruges because there was no money in the atms <laughs> so we were like wow. we don't have money and we can't get m-. it was interesting um and we finally found a, an atm somewhere like our fifth atm finally we found some ones that would vend some euro to us it was weird well look at that belgium what are you gonna do Anyway, yes, okay. Memorial Day here in the U.S., and so my daughter marched in a parade yesterday, and uh, yeah, it was nice. The, it's the official kickoff to uh, to summer in San Francisco, which means that it was like uh, 60 degrees and foggy all day, as it usually is on Memorial Day. So, you know, stand outside and shiver. Woo! Summer. Woohoo! Yep. I'm hoping for a little bit of sun in a couple of weeks' time. I hope, well, we haven't had any so far, but I hope I hope that it turns nice so that we can put on a nice show for you people when you're all out here in two weeks. Two weeks, Mike. Two weeks. So you know what that means next week, right? Uh, I don't know. No, what does that mean for next week? Predictions. Oh no. Woo-hoo. Okay, good. I was worried that I was worried you were going to say something like it's the it's the uh-huh. mid year upgradey awards. No. <laughs> I have ideas Ooh. about the upgradies, by the way, for the end of the year. I have ideas. See, I told you. We'll, we'll, I told you it would kick in. I do have some ideas. They'll, they'll, they'll actually be the second annual upgradies, which is you can't do annual unless you do them again. So it will actually be legitimately annual. Anyway, uh, yes, we'll do some predictions next week, and then we will be together in uh, for our, uh, I guess this will be our third live in-person upgrade uh, in two weeks after the keynote. So yep, that'll we'll be exciting. Be, we'll be recording on Monday as well, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll be live from San Francisco, is, which I enjoy. This is where the Monday broadcast pays off. Although mm-hmm. today it's on Tuesday. We and also, when, whatever like day, podcasting, whatever day you choose to listen to this, it might be Thursday where you are. Hello, Thursday. <laughs> Should we do some follow-up? I think that's a good idea. A couple of things this week. So we had uh, something from listener Eric um, who wanted to kind of just 
we were talking about pronunciations uh, again last week in uh, Ask Upgrade about trying to teach Siri pronunciations of names. And, you know, we were saying that, you know, where you can't necessarily teach it pronunciations of different words for the text dictation, you can teach it to learn your name and to say your name back to you correctly. Mm -hmm. However, Eric has had some problems with this. Um, He cannot teach Siri how to pronounce his name. His last name is spelt R-A-U-C-H. It has a silent C-H. So I'm going to say it's like Rao uh-huh. or Rao, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so he says he cannot uh, get Siri to learn his name in any fashion, which is so unfortunate. So I guess you'd have to like put it in as like R-A-W or something like well, that. Well, that, this is my understanding, is that there is a field in contacts for pronunciation. and I think, I, I, But I don't know where it gets used, but it might get used in this, in this way. Um, where you can put in the pronunciation and you can have that be a phonetic, you know, pronunciation, something ridiculous. Like when I do the incomparable intros and the little computer voice reads the number and the, uh, sometimes those are bizarre phrases that I put in there in order to get it to sound the way I want it to sound. And I think you can do that with uh, with any contact uh, is have a pronunciation field and it gets used in some places, but it's inconsistent. And yeah, Siri, you know. She's going to do what she's going to do. Or if you're in other parts of the world, he's going to do what he's going to do. But, you know, Siri is just, Siri's going to Siri. That's what I'm saying. Siri's a, Siri's a dude here. Yeah, I know. You can, you can. I think that there is a female voice now, but I'm very used to British Siri uh-huh. being a guy. So I kind of just just leave it as it is. But I, th- I think that we got the female voice in like oh. iOS 7 or something. Nice. But, you know, it, it takes on a certain personality. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about uh, Letterman a bit last week. We were yep. talking about your incomparable episode, and I kind of just wanted to get because I don't know if you're going to talk about it anywhere else. I wanted to just get a brief feeling for: Were you happy? Did you watch Letterman Letterman finale? Yep. How did you feel about yeah, it? Yeah, we watched it. We watched it on broadcast. Stayed up late and watched it. And uh, I talked about it a little bit on uh, the TV podcast I do with uh, Tim Goodman, the TV critic at the Hollywood Reporter, which is on the Incomparable. It's called TV Talk Machine. I talked about it a little bit with him there. Um, uh, you know, it was a good send off. It wasn't weepy and 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 maudlin. It was lots of montages and um, of stuff. And it ended with this crazy montage that the producers have been working on since December. Uh, the, basically, Foo Fighters comes out, starts playing Everlong live on stage. But then instead of showing them, they run this montage. And it's somebody uh, annotated it on on uh, Facebook. It's like five hundred different clips over the span of four minutes or something. It's super crazy. And I really, I literally felt like my life was passing before my eyes, especially for the first half of it, because I remember almost everything in that, in the first half, certainly in his NBC days. And it's like, suddenly I had that moment of like, that, that is my life from 1985 to, you know, 1995 at least. Um, uh, it was pretty crazy. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was a, it, I think it was a good send off to just, uh, you know, say goodbye and talk about stuff, uh, you know, memories and do some funny bits and uh, and have it be done. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't one of those kind of teary finales. And I think that was fitting. And uh, and so, yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, uh, beyond that, I mean, I didn't watch the show. I wasn't watching the show regularly uh, the last few years anyway. So, you know, it's a it's a it's just a passing of a moment 
then, and I said that in the incomparable episode that I did about it is, you know, when I thought about it, you know, this is something that I I moved on from this a long time ago. And so it's not as if something was taken from me so much as it was a moment to think about uh, those good times in the past. And, uh, and I think the finale did that too. So, yeah. So thanks for asking, but it was good. Yeah. So when I saw everybody talking about it, I decided that I would go to YouTube and I watched a few clips um, from the finale. But it was one of those scenarios, like, I just want to watch the whole thing. Like, just give me the whole thing. Right. However you need to do that, just let me watch it. Like, I've never wanted to watch Letterman before because it's just never been something that was on my radar too much. Like, I know of him. I know about, the you know, all the late night shows. But I didn't really particularly have an interest in watching it before. But I wanted to watch that episode, but couldn't. Like, uh, I could just watch these little snippets of it, which was fine, but I kind of wanted to see the whole thing. And plus, like, they were, you know, the, the snippets that I watched were good, but, like, they weren't, I mean, and, and I, I had heard people talking about this, like, they weren't, like, the kind of snippets that you see from other talk shows, where they're, like, you can just take that one little bit and you're good. Right. Like, it felt like that there was more to it than that, because I know, like, you know, I, I'd heard, like, in some profiles that maybe one of the reasons he's decided to go away is because shows like um, uh, Jimmy Fallon and James Corden and people like that, they make their bits to be shared, right, to go viral. Right. And he wasn't too interested in doing that. Well, I think there is a full show up there. Um you may have to do your magical things to make it think that you're in the U.S., but there is on the cbscom slash late show. There's a uh, the the la- the mo- the like leftmost in their list of latest videos is full episode, and it looks like that's uh. the the final episode. So it might it may be there. See, I, I was just going to YouTube. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, why not just put it on YouTube. Like, well, I'm sure they have their reasons, but but I think there's a way to yeah. get it. I can't watch it because of my geographical reason. Yeah. Although, you well, know, you, you, I can if I can, do some stuff. You can do your magic tricks. Anyway, but yeah, it's yeah. it's uh it's uh it's funny cuz they're they're done now and like they were ripping the seats out of the theater and uh oh. they asked him about it actually. He was at the Indy Indy 500 uh the auto race this weekend cuz he's from Indianapolis and he is a co-owner of cars that race in that race actually. Um and uh he he said he said, yeah, yeah, you know, Day, day later, they're tearing the seats out of the theater. So that pretty much says it all about show business, right? So they're done. I mean, they're they they're moving they're moving out the staff, and you know, it's just it's over. Like it wasn't just we're gonna you know have some time to tidy up. It's like show's over, folks. So that's kind of interesting. That website, like, um, you know, on on the on the CBS site, it presumably is just abandoned now, and then at some point it will get turned into the Stephen Colbert site and i have this question about like contractually at what point are they like uh on their own and that letterman's company owns all that material and are they going to is there a staff at his company because worldwide pants is his production company are they are they building a davidletterman.com or something like that that's got old clips or archives or things they post on youtube johnny carson's estate actually has that um so I wonder if they'll do that. It, it, but it's interesting. This is one of those cases of like digital permanence and impermanence where I feel like a lot of these clips that are on the official site, they're just going to go away because they're going to want to – CBS is going to want to promote the new the new version of the show hosted by Stephen Colbert. And I'm not sure whether that the, all the Letterman stuff won't just get thrown in the trash you know, digitally like the, like the set and the seats were thrown in the trash the next day. You don't want to uh, – like you know, from their perspective, you don't want to revel in how great the past is – 
well, you're no, trying to promote the new show. CBS's job is to promote the new show. Plus, I'm not quite sure what, what CBS's rights to that stuff are contractually after some period yeah. of time. Like, it may be that the moment that Colbert premieres, the Letterman stuff has to go off because it's not theirs anymore. It belongs to Letterman and not CBS. That That is probably the case. So it's a weird it's a weird thing. But it made me think about, like, uh, the, the fact that, like, NBC um, and, and David Letterman, like, they, they, they have never made much... Uh, effort to show old clips. There have been reruns a couple of times of old David Letterman shows, um, and those got nipped in the bud pretty quickly. Um, and so that that stuff is not available anywhere except on YouTube, where huge amounts of it are available. And in fact, I was seeing people, um, even uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I think, when he said goodbye to Letterman on 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 the on the same night as Letterman's last show, um, he played a clip from YouTube of a favorite moment of his. So these people just put, you know, and I was going to do it, and I discovered that every clip that I saved on an old VHS tape that I got out and I was playing and all that, they're all already on YouTube. So in the end, that's your digital permanence. It's like people going outside of the law <laughs> in order to get this stuff around, and then that becomes this incredibly valuable resource, whereas the official channels, you know, that stuff is inaccessible, like you said. You didn't even look on CBS.com, and, and then it goes away because, their, you know, their contract expires and it's just all gone. So, uh, you know, bless you, YouTubers, for <laughs> uploading things you don't have the rights to so that we could actually see this stuff. Yep. So otherwise, it's just lost. Yeah. It's just gets Yeah. Lost. So many of the Farewell Letterman pieces in the last couple of weeks have, ha- have had YouTube embeds in them. And those are all not authorized by David Letterman or NBC. But that's also the legacy of the show. I mean, thank goodness those things exist. Because otherwise, well, I sent you, we were talking last week, um, not to spoil a future episode of a different podcast, but we were talking last last week about, um, off of this show, about uh, music. And I sent you a, uh, I sent you a still of David Letterman holding up the record of my favorite album of all time. And why would we have been talking about that? I don't, I don't know why that would be. It's for a future episode of Clockwise, obviously. So um, that was just, I that was just you know, that's on YouTube. I, I, I searched for the band and Letterman, and uh, I got all of their performances on Letterman. Uh, they're all on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. The, shine on, you crazy pirates. <laughs> so you, um, last piece of thought, you released your photo book. Uh, it's, it's out yep. now. It's finally all done. Version, yeah, I think exploring. they're calling it version 1.1. I would say it's the real final version of it. We released sort of the first half. And, um... Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, uh, Photos from Mac, a Take Control Crash Course is the name of it. You can get it at TakeControl.com or no, TakeControlBooks.com. Sorry. Don't go to, that's like uh, that uh, Dash.com that's laundry detergent. Don't go there and don't go to Take Control. TakeControlBooks.com. Uh, and so it's part of the Take Control Books line. So what you're going to get is it's, I, I think the page count is like 60-ish. It, it's this like super uh, boiled down, designed, lots of screenshots, lots of references. It is me trying to boil down everything like you need. It's kind of dense. It's, uh, I think it's visual, so it's it's easier to get through. Um, I was thinking about it. Like if I had written a traditional book, it probably I probably would have written like four times the amount of words, but I'm not sure it would have been any more informative, and I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been as as easy to read. It's an interesting format. I'm I'm I wrote this to fit their format, but their format is interesting in that the crash course format is you know it's kind of no nonsense. Um, it, it, 
the chapters. Not a lot of voice in there, I assume. Yeah, the, I, 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 there's some jokes saying. in there. I, I tried yeah. to put some voice in there, but you know, there's not a lot of room for it. You know, the chapters are of, of a fairly constrained length. You've got a column running down the side with sidebars and images in it. It is a format that you're fitting. But I think what's powerful about it is it, it's really no nonsense. It's like, you know, if you, if you want to read a book that is thousands and thousands of words about some piece of software because it's fun, uh, this is probably not the book for you. This is a book that is like, let's get down to business. Here's what you need to know. Here's some tips. Here's what these different tools do. Um, and I, I kind of appreciate that because I think I think there's probably more of an audience for that than there is for sort of recreational reading about software. <laughs> so that's what they're and Adam and Tanya Angst who do it. You know they know their they know their business and they know their audience. Um, but it was it was an educational experience to write it. I feel like I've learned a whole lot about photos uh, for Mac, and I and I like it. I, I'm not gonna ditch it. I, I do I do like it, although it's got some serious limitations that you know hopefully Apple is already working on. I think having a short book that gives you all the information you're going to need is good if what you're trying to do is just learn how to use a program like as nice as it is to to get a lot more of the character around it if you know if a crash course is what you're looking for 60 pages seems about right yeah i mean and, and you can jump around and it's got you know it's very visual when it, they do some nice things like when you say click on this button or look at this icon the icon is in the text like you put it right i mean it was a lot like of work that. for me to take yeah. the screenshots and all that but but um but it, it ends up being yeah so it's it's interesting um it's it's been interesting the i've gotten some feedback um already from people you know and some of it is why did it take so long and the answer is because apple like sort of unveiled photos really much earlier than i think anybody anticipated and i started writing it when it was in that first beta um and it just with my travel and a bunch of other production issues with them it took until now for us to get the final final but that's why we got the first half out when we did is we wanted to get as much as we could out as soon as we could and then again like the format you know i I think I think it's actually a really clever format and I think it's a very useful format. If you are expecting, you know, Jason's 20,000, you know, word essay on the meaning of photos, you're not going to get it because that's not the point of the, of the book. The book is really, you know, what are all the tools and how do I use it? And I think it's very useful in that. Cool. We have a ton of stuff to get to today. Yeah. So we should probably do that. But before we do, let me take a moment to thank our friends over at Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. Me and Jason were talking before we recorded today about the fact that we're both coming up to about a year on our projects, like Six Colors and Relay are both you know, coming up towards a year old. And I'm getting, and I know Jason is as well, a lot of domain renewal notices right now. So um, I'm, I'm getting some stuff coming from Hover where it's like, you know, it's coming up to a year. Do you want to renew? And, you know, it's, it's a, the only thing that I ever hear from them is just these renewal notices, which is great. They don't send me a bunch of spam. But what it's doing is reminding me of like a year ago about all of the stuff that I was trying to buy to think of names for Relay when me and Stephen were thinking about this stuff. And it reminds me of the process. Like, so we would have an idea for a name. So we'd go over to Hover. It was like the first place that we'd go. Is the domain available? If it was, we'd buy them. And it was really simple to do. And what it will allow you to do is to collect up these names that you could then maybe use for other stuff or just to make sure that you have them in place. And then once you get 
the domains that you want. They sit there and you, they're very easy to manage. They have great domain management tools, but their buying process is just so simple and so easy. You don't have to go through a thousand screens. It shows you what's available. If the domain that you want isn't available, they'll show you some really smart recommendations and all of the TODs that are available. So .com might not be, but they have .net, .me, .co.uk, .plumbing, .coffee, .fish, anything you need, they have it. Hover have got them all. They give you who is privacy for free. That's one of my favorite things about Hover because when you buy a domain, you don't necessarily want the whole world knowing your home address. That's what Hover makes sure that you get for free with all of your domains. And I was registering a domain a couple of days ago with Hover and what I like is it's automatically checked. You can't miss it, right? They check it for you, the who is privacy, which is fantastic. Of course, you don't have to have it, but you should have it because it keeps your private information safe. Hover have great customer support, including a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. You give Hover a call, you're going to speak to somebody that's going to be able to help you. They have great email support as well. They have great guides on the, and support documents on their website in case you want to do stuff on your own. And don't forget Hover's valet service, where they can take all the domains you have of another provider and move them to Hover for free for you. They'll just do it all. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. They'll just do that for you. So... Head on over right now to Hover.com and you should be trying them out for yourself. You can get 10% off your first purchase at Hover if you use the code DUBDUB, D-U-B, D-U-B. <laughs> People are going to hate me for that one. So that's DUBDUB, D-U-B, D-U-B. You're going to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Upgrade and all of Relay FM. Thank you to Hover for sponsoring this week's episode. Mike, Upgrade.Fish is available, by the way. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't bought it already. <laughs> So um, yesterday, as we record this, um, so it was Labor Day in the States. Nope. Uh, nope. Nope. Memorial Day. Day. That's it. Memorial Day. I always oh. get those ones mixed up. I don't think I need to worry about it. It's not my uh, not my country. Mm. I know it's a, ho- a holiday. I apologize. To well, everybody. judging by your accent, it's rapidly becoming your country. So watch it, Hurley. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll wait until I actually get the visa and make okay. the move. But. All right. So it was Memorial Day. There we go. We got it right this time. Good job. Uh, and Johnny Ive uh, got a new job. Apparently. So, or, or has he had it for a while? He told Stephen Fry about his new job. Yes, this is really interesting. So it was announced in the UK in the Telegraph in a profile by Stephen Fry. Yeah. That was how, like, that was how and, it came and then to the world. Tim Cook sent a memo. Yeah, yeah, which you know then leaks out as these things tend to do, and I believe they're written that way. They've got to be right. You've, yeah. you've got to write those knowing that the world's going to see them. Yep. Be like, oh, by the way, everyone, Secret Project X is coming along. Yeah, it's coming along. Don't nicely. tell Don't anybody. Tell anyone. <laughs> Shh. Keep it under your hat. So he is now Chief Design Officer. Um, so he is what is now known as a sea level executive. Sea level. That's right. He's living at sea level. He's he's <laughs> pivoting with brands at sea level. So this puts him like with uh, with hmm, is Phil Schiller like a CMO or is or is he just? I think uh, I think he's EVP. senior vice senior vice president executive vice president. Yeah. So this puts I've at a very very strong position in Apple now. Um, at least from a title perspective, because, you know, in theory, and as people have said, he's probably one of the most strong people. Like, it's effectively goes Tim Cook, Johnny Ive, everybody else. Um, yeah, everybody so else have- is senior vice president. Right. So the only, uh, that we know of at this point, the only C-level executive is is uh, Johnny Ive. Yeah. Wow. So we have, what, Tim Cook, and then we have the COO as well. 
uh, is there a there's a you know do do they call that do they call that person the COO? I have no idea anymore. I, I I'm looking at the executive profile list and I don't see anybody with a a, a chief title other than hmm. other than Tim Cook. Well, there we go. Um, um, there are now two people that are working underneath Johnny. So if you remember when uh, Forstall left, uh, they pushed the industrial design and user interface teams together and yes. Johnny was running them both. Right. Now they've split them apart again with Johnny well, overseeing everything. They, well, they now have a vice president of industrial design and a vice president of user interface design, which right. was how, if I'm remembering correctly, kind of how it was before. And then Johnny took them both over. But now there are officially people that are heading up those two departments with Johnny sitting above them. That's a different structure, but it reminds me of how it was before. I, I'm not sure if it's different. Uh, and th- this is the this is the thing. I don't have any insider information about this, but I, my gut feeling with about this is this is so. What, one of the things that I learned in my you know in my years doing some you know media company stuff, but anyway, is uh, you you get you get the job and then you get the title. <laughs> a lot of the time, that's just sort of how it works. Putting Johnny Ive in charge of software design means uh, he was doing. I mean, that's when his job changed. That's when his job changed because that's too much. Either he didn't change anything, at which point he wasn't in charge of it, or kind of let's be serious, he was in charge of it, which means he was not be able to spend the amount of time he was able to spend on other things. I'm sure he had trusted lieutenants. Maybe these two people were the trusted lieutenants at the beginning, Alan Dye and Richard Richard uh, Howarth. Uh, maybe they were not. Maybe they emerged. As this went along, I don't know that, but um, let's just assume they they more or less um, they more or less uh, were. This is this strikes me as being the quantification of that 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 this was part of the this was part of the plan. Now it may be that this is moving the story forward in the sense that this is also Johnny Ive saying um, now that we've got this ship running more like we talked about Tim. I want to you know I don't want to be a manager who's doing like day-to-day stuff because I'm a designer and these guys, you know, these guys are my managers and, and, and I, boy, I mean, first off I can identify with that because <laughs> I, I had those same feelings, which is you get to that point where you're like, I'm not doing the thing that I am good at and that you hired me to do. I'm now doing all of this other stuff, but he's so talented that you don't want to lose him, but you, and, and you trust him. So how do you structure it? And I feel like my gut feeling again, with no inside information, this is Apple outsider territory. Me and Matt Drance were on the outside. Um, but I view this as being Johnny Ive saying, um, I'm in charge because you trust me, Tim, but I don't want to be the day-to-day manager of these giant groups because I'm a designer at heart and I want to follow, you know, in, in, Stephen Fry called it like blue sky stuff. But I, I don't view it that way. I don't think that he's saying I like to just imagine f- crazy things that will never be built. I think it's more like I want to get back to the business of focusing on, fo- focusing on products. So so I read this as being Johnny Ive saying, look, I have two jobs. I have to be the leader of this giant group. And with that, I'm going to have a couple of people who I manage who are going to be worried about the nuts and bolts day to day. And then I'm also going to be an active participant in product design and because that's what I love and that's what you want me doing anyway. 
So I'm fairly positive about this. It could be that this is corporate speak for the fact that Johnny Ive is getting burned out and wants to spend more time in England and, you know, or or in his mansion in San Francisco and not... It, it could be that, but I think it could easily be, and I think a perfectly reasonable scenario that um, I've seen happen in other places is this is allowing your super creative, talented guy to not get lost in being the head of two giant groups. So that's my that's my take on it is that this is this this could easily just be a uh a, a formalization of how this has already come to be because that that explains how they're functioning gives these two other guys the authority and visibility to be part of it. Um while Johnny Ive can go back to being, you know, kind of like totem of design at Apple plus work on projects because he's really good at that. And, um, and honestly, you know, that's, that makes sense to me because if you, whatever the next hard, super important design project is at Apple, you kind of want Johnny Ive on that, right? You kind of don't want him being like, no, uh, too busy. We got a reorg in the software design group over here. It's like, no, you don't want him doing that. You want him on those projects. So, um, I, you know, I, I maybe I'm being a little optimistic here, and it's entirely possible that this is just a bad sign that Johnny Ive is leaving, um, and we want to get these guys in place so that when he goes, you know, we'll have people who are visible. But I think it's very easily explained as just being that, that he's a really talented guy. Um, this is too much for him to manage day to day. They feel like the ship is kind of righted from where it was when they made this move. Um, and this way, those guys get to be seen as leaders while Johnny Ive gets to be seen as the the guy who does design and also go back to formally to working on the most important design projects that Apple has. So I actually think of it as being a little bit of all of those and kind of in a reverse order to the way that you mentioned them. So like, I think that probably first and foremost, this is succession planning and that should start in theory, 15 years, 20 years before Johnny I is going to go, right? You, you need to know, because it's like the Steve Jobs conundrum all over again. Like, Apple has yeah. to know that they have people that can make stuff without Johnny Ive making it. Right. right. That That is a thing that needs to happen, and that well, should yeah. start. It does now. happen, but they're, you know, but they need to, they've over-messaged the Johnny Ive just like they over-messaged Steve, Steve Jobs. And, yeah. and again, Steve Jobs was responsible for a lot of that uh, himself, you know, <laughs> but, but I think you're right that this is the, we already have a good team here. You risk when one guy has everything invested in him that if he leaves, then uh, people are like freaking out. Oh, my God, he left. He did everything. And so some of this is sending the message that, no, no, there's very talented teams here that are also working on this stuff. That's a PR thing. And, I think that's right. Yeah. And then I think it's like going back from that is like it is so they just take the managerial stuff away because – we like to think of Apple as a as a beautiful, incredible place, but it is a company a big that does company stuff. Uh-huh. And as the head of a division, he will have been bogged down in HR stuff. Well, and the people who rise to this level are not rising to that level because of their greatness at that stuff. Maybe some of them are great at it. Maybe some of them mm-hmm. are good at it. Maybe some of them love it. My old boss at IDG, my last boss at IDG, was a C-level executive. He was the chief content officer for IDG. And he used to be an editor, but he was he loved being a manager and doing all the political stuff. He loved it. And he I and I liked him. 
I like him. He's a good guy, but uh, he took to it in a, in a way that I just never, I, I could not imagine doing that job where he was, he just didn't make stuff anymore. His job was to be a manager. So, so different people react to it differently. I look at, I look at Johnny Ive too. And I say, uh, well, first off, he doesn't need to do this. Right. Other than, other than like the, the, the uh, excitement and uh, of changing the world and making great products, right? That that he doesn't need the money, he doesn't need the acclaim. He's he's the queen has bestowed uh, some accolades on him, right? He 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 will be honored regardless, right? So what what keeps him an apple? And the, it's the opportunity to make cool stuff, and it's probably the opportunity to be involved in designing this stuff in detail. So if you're Johnny Ive. I I cannot imagine that he wouldn't have a moment where he'd say, and maybe this was when he was given this division in the first place, where he would say to Tim, "Yeah, I'll get the act, I'll get the act together, but at some point I want to I want to go back in the design lab, and I'll I, I'm happy to do it at a high level, but I'm going to need to bring in some managers because I don't want to do that job. I just I mean that's just my gut feeling about about him is that he's not the kind of person who just would be happy to give up design altogether and just manage a design group. That doesn't make any sense from anything we know about Jonathan and I. And then my other thought, you know, working back from that is if you take those responsibilities away from him, he can then spend a bit more time living his life how he wants to live it. If right. you t- because he will continue doing everything he's doing now minus some stuff. He's not going to do more. Right in theory, because right. from the profiles that we've seen about him recently, everything that Stephen Fry talks about is stuff we already knew he was doing. Yep. So if you take away the uh, vice president, like the SVP and the EVP stuff from somebody, and allow them to do the free thinking, right that that he should want to be doing, and or work on the projects that he wants to work on, delegating the rest to his new teams, that is. That is the path to someone who has a job that they really want to do and they really love because he has, a, in theory, one of the best jobs in the world, in theory. Exactly, if, you are, exactly. if you are a designer, you want Johnny Ive's job. And and he, you know, I, I don't know Johnny Ive. I would imagine that he, he loves that part of his job. And if I think one of the challenges of all of these incredibly talented people who have made a huge amount of money at Apple is how do you get them to stay? Stay. You get them to stay because where else in the world will they have the opportunity to have the kind of impact they can have at Apple? And because they're doing things they love. And if somebody, as a manager, as somebody who used to manage a lot of people, I look at that and say, okay, you're really talented and we don't want to lose you. Uh, we don't have like leverage on you. You didn't just buy a super expensive house and now have a big mortgage, and you, there's no way you're going to leave your job. You know, I, we we are. You are just. Uh, how do I motivate you? I never really liked it when people congratulated you on buying a house because they knew you wouldn't quit your job. By the way, because they did that to me, I never liked that. I never. Ha ha! We've got you right, right where you want. Where we want you, worker. <laughs> mm. uh, well, little ant. Congratulations. But, uh, but I look. But I look at Johnny. Evans, it's like, how do you motivate somebody like that? Well, you say. I'll 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 unburden you from some of this stuff. You've got lieutenants. You already can't do it all. You've got lieutenants who are doing this and doing a good job at it. And you know, and maybe maybe you know those lieutenants, hopefully, and you're like, oh, and those those guys love that stuff and are really good at it. So let's take it off your shoulders. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. And that that could very well be the whole story here. Is is it's it's not good for Johnny Ive. It's not good for Apple to have Johnny Ive worried about things that aren't designing products quite honestly 
<laughs> designing products or determining the overarching design philosophy at the company. I feel like those are his two jobs and they are bracketed by all of this management junk that he doesn't need to deal with. Yeah, and there's other things that I think about, like, potentially, and I mean, I think this is there's a, there's a good chance that this is the case. Stuff like designing the campus is to keep him interested. I Like, yeah. there's no reason in the world that he would be involved in designing the new building because that's not what he designs. Yeah. But if you are a designer, like... That is an incredible project to work well, on. As somebody, as somebody who has done a, a slightly smaller project than the new Apple campus, which is we redid our kitchen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just I, slightly. I will say, if you view the the, the architect and the um, this is entire isn't entirely accurate, but if you view the architect and the and the builders of this as sort of your contractor, the fact is that when when you're building something like this, there are a million little decisions that have to be made. And if you're the client, if you're the the person who's who's paying to do the work, they will come to you with those decisions. So who at Apple's going to make those decisions? And I think I think that's sort of what's going on here too. Is like, look, Steve's not here anymore to make these decisions. He got the ball rolling here. Johnny probably knows what Steve was thinking. He's got his own thoughts. Maybe if you really want this thing to have the attention to detail that they want to have it, it is an Apple product that they're designing here. Then I th- I feel like that maybe that's the role he's in. I don't think he's doing architecture, right? They have an ar- a prestigious mm. architecture firm to do that. But I think he he and his people may be the ones who are like making those decisions of, you know, for us, it was like, what color do you want the outlets to be? We can put white outlets here, but they're, uh, you know, but you're the, the material on your wall here is green. So we could custom order some green outlets, which was the point where my wife and I melted down and we're like, just put the white outlets in. Ah, cause there's so many but, decisions, but that seems to me to be the place where Johnny Ive might, might be fitting in is, Oh, we need tables. We need, carpet or whatever and being like all right we will what do we want that to be at a high level and i know that seems ridiculous because maybe it is not at a high level but um i think you're also right that that it keeps him engaged um and it also invests in him the idea that everything apple does regarding design is his purview he's setting the tone there um and i think it's also good for tim cook because it lets tim cook say look i got this guy this is my guy. I, he said i'm not designing products but i got the best guy at it i got i got sir jonathan ive doing it for us he's my chief design officer and i think that's good for for tim cook too because you know they say it says in the profile that like um he is even designing chairs and stuff <laughs> like that yeah yeah it is it is a little bit of whatever you want johnny just don't go <laughs> whatever interests you let's 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 do it um, but but at the same time, I mean, I do believe that they that they view the, that Apple campus as a, an Apple product. It is it, it, it's their new home, and they want it to be. Uh, yeah. The last thing you'd want to do is spend all that money and then have it be let down with lots of like, you know, crappy chairs from IKEA. <laughs> you know, I it, it would be you want to take it the last mile. I think that is that is a sign of Apple's design philosophy is you want to take it the, the last mile. You want to get it all the way there and not have this great idea that then doesn't uh, come through in the final execution. So just to try and save some follow up, um, Luca Maestri is the CFO. Oh, Luca. So there isn't a COO, which is interesting to me um, because 
Tim was, wasn't he? He Tim was, was the COO. But Jeff Williams is just an SVP. Oh, yeah. Well, Luca is senior vice president and chief financial, chief financial officer. officer. Yeah. But he's the only one looking at that page that has that. So yeah. there will be three C-level executives. That is so interesting to me that that it's just that. Like you think about Phil Schiller and he's not the CMO, right? You, well, maybe he will be. Maybe he will be. But, you you know, it's it's just so interesting to see. I mean, it, it's... It feels obvious in a company like Apple that you would give someone a title like that because design is what they have. That is all they have. You know, they are the company that designs things incredibly well, top to bottom, inside and out. That is what they are. So it makes sense that you would create a position like that. And and Schiller used to be worldwide product marketing, and now he's worldwide marketing, which I think is also kind of interesting. Um, I don't know when that happened. That might have been years ago. Yeah. But but yeah, it, I mean, it's a one step from there to be CMO. I I think if you're Phil Schiller, also he might he might just say I don't like that title. I'd rather just be SVP. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's it's this is an interesting thing to me. I think there's a lot of. Titles? It's dripping. It's dripping with subtext. Yeah, titles are not jobs. Titles are not jobs. Titles are statements. They're communication. Titles are communication. You communicate your role and your importance with your title when you're talking to your peers or you're applying for another job. And your company is communicating your importance and visibility within the organization with the title. But the titles titles aren't jobs. The you know, Jonathan and I could be I mean this is the thing. Phil Phil Schiller's job, Phil if Phil Schiller wanted to be CMO, maybe they'd make him CMO. Maybe he would prefer not to be. Um, but it doesn't change his job. And and you can have a you can have uh, again, just to bring my history in here, when I got let's see when when um, when MacWorld was sucked inside of PC World, um, my my boss Rick LePage was let go because he was the president of MacWorld at that point. A guy named Jeff Edmond was put in charge of PC was in charge of PC World was now also in charge of MacWorld, and I I had the conversation where I went up to see upstairs to see Jeff Edmond, and he said, "Here's what's happening. Rick is leaving. We're going to take care of him. Um, I'm going to be in charge. You know, you're going to sit on my management team." And then he said, "And you're now senior vice president and editorial director of MacWorld," and I was like, "Okay," and and I got promoted. Why did that happen? Because I didn't I, like I didn't do anything. My boss lost his job, and the answer was they wanted to send a message. They wanted to send a message of importance of MacWorld. They wanted to they wanted to make me feel better. I guess I'm not sure. I, I guess it did. I don't know, but it was all about communication. It was about because it was kind of unbidden. It's not like I went to him and said, "Well, I don't know about this." It's not like it was the annual review process. It was. It was there to communicate some things to me and to the staff and to maybe other you know observers, and that so that's that's what this is all about. I feel like this is this is um, this is communicating changes that have already happened or changes that have you know that that need to happen. But the titles themselves, kind of, I mean, Johnny Ives' title could be, um, you know. <laughs> He could have no title. He could be like my. I prefer to be titleless, and he would be just on the executive Johnny. profile page, and it would just there'd be nothing. <laughs> he could do that, right? And it that would just be. Uh, we would all just accept it. Well, it's quirky designers, whatever. Um, 
Yeah. So titles are not the titles are, are are about communication with other people, and what it. So it's always good to ask the question: What is Apple trying to communicate here? Um, it may or may not be about us. It may be about those people, um, but it's probably about us. <laughs> it's probably about everybody observing Apple too, and and wanting to know what the deal is with you know, and stop whispers of like, well, you know, Johnny isn't doing day to day of. They're like, yeah, Johnny isn't doing day to day. You know, we already announced that. Gets gets in front of that change that they want to make. But do you think? I mean, a lot of people speculated that they announced it on a day that the markets were closed because it could potentially have had a bad effect on the market. I mean, any change, right, affects the mar- like will affect the market. Sure, any change involving uh, a member of your staff. Sure, sure, it, it, it's, it, it know, softens the. Worried. Yeah, it also softens the rather than being a knee jerk reaction, right? Of like, oh god, Jonathan, I have what what's happening? Oh, fear, fear, fear. Instead, it's like it trickles out. People are like eating a hot dog, they're barbecuing a hamburger, and they're like, oh, Jonathan, I have, and they have time to process, and there's nothing they can do, and it doesn't, you know. I think everything Apple does now <laughs> has an effect like this. It's interesting they did it on the Monday though. They did it on a Monday where, like, plausibly people at Apple who don't observe holidays were back to work instead of doing it Friday evening, which is the traditional bad news time. So what they didn't want to do is send the message that this was bad news, but they still, I think, wanted to mute the um, the response. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But it was interest- interesting news nonetheless, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Like, are we going to see more of these other people, you know? Um, how, how is that going to work? I think that would be interesting to see. Yeah, I hope that we do. I hope that we do. Yeah, I imagine we'll we'll be seeing those people at WWDC. Oh, that, yeah, that'd be interesting. Maybe in some videos or something. We'll see. All right, should we take a break and then we'll talk about some Google stuff? I think. Great idea. Let's go on a skew. This week's episode is also brought to you by GoToMeeting from Citrix. If you, you know, we've been talking about businesses and corporations and meetings are a thing that happen in businesses and corporations with executives. You know, this is probably the type of thing that Johnny's trying to get rid of. But do you know what he could do from England, Jason? He could use GoToMeeting to talk to his team, you know, because he can be anywhere in the world. You know, anybody can be. And you can connect with your team via GoToMeeting. It is a smarter way to meet. You can meet with your clients and coworkers online with Citrix GoToMeeting. It makes it easy to meet with your team wherever you need to, wherever you are, because you can use any device. You can use a computer, a tablet, a smartphone. You don't have to think about travel expenses or travel time. You don't have to worry about the traffic. You can just do whatever you want. You can be in your front room. You can be in your garden and you can meet with whoever you need to. You can even be on a different floor of the building and you just don't want to walk up and down the stairs today because you've already filled in your activity ring. So you're just going to sit at your desk and have a go-to-meeting with somebody. It is that easy. You can just Join a meeting by clicking a link. You don't need to sign up. You don't need people to sign up like your clients. There are no speed bumps. You just turn on your webcam. And with HD quality, you can be in the room with other people. You can even share screens to present, review, and get feedback all in real time. Because with GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing so your team can get on the same page and just get going. I want you to go and sign up for GoToMeeting today. Try it free for 30 days with nothing to lose. You can visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and you'll have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. Thank you so much to GoToMeeting for sponsoring this week's episode. So, 
Jason, yes. it is Google I.O. this week. It's Google time. So we have all of that to think about before WWDC, um, which is, you know, that's that's that. So Google Google tends to do this. I don't know if they do it purposefully, but I would if I was them. Get Just get your news out quickly. Get it out first, because if you and Apple are working on a similar thing, at least you can get the news cycle for a few days. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise your product launches are just ruined by everybody talking about how it's not Apple's one. It's very, it Also, you know, Google will have some hardware partner announcements and all that, but they don't, they don't necessarily dazzle have have all the tools to dazzle like Apple does because they you know they're they're talking very much about cloud and so- software and operating systems and Apple has some hardware to you know glint a little bit and people are like ooh shiny um it's funny Google IO is very different it's shorter than WWDC um and the keynote and the keynote is much longer <laughs> traditionally we'll see if it is this year but in the past the Google keynote the Google IO keynotes have been endless because there seems to be I mean, Google's doing a lot of stuff, but there seems to to be a reluctance to let parts of Google that don't have anything that merits being on stage, uh, a reluctance to not have them be on stage. So uh, for the last, uh, I think, what was it, two years ago, there was a Maps uh, demo at Google I.O. Keynote that was like, hey, Maps, you like Maps, right? Yay, Maps. Um, and th- goodbye. <laughs> and that was, was what, what just happened. And it was just a waste of our time. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, that's one of the ways where Google I.O.'s keynote differs often from Apple is um, even though so many companies, including Google and Microsoft, now are like using the Apple playbook in terms of their event structure they really have been inspired by the kind of classic steve jobs event structure there are still moments where as a close apple follower you look and and you say oh that's not you know they're not doing it the same way and with google i feel like some of it is just the um discipline to say you're out of the keynote person who's got a whole fiefdom that you know you're really excited about this product but you're out of the keynote because we're going to keep it to two hours and so it'll you know be three and a half hours or or whatever um, but there's always really interesting stuff announced at the Google I.O. keynote because it is Google's chance to do that thing where they they get a big event and the developers are excited and they can sort of set the direction for where they're going with their platforms for the next year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about them in in these kinds of terms now because they definitely try and pump up the showmanship a little bit right and they i think when io originally started it was very much a developer conference and they still are more heavy on that than apple but when you see them come on stage you know they are trying to give like uh, a bit of lip service to all of the different departments showing how much of a corporation they are but i think they are also now trying to do more to dazzle because they're aware that it's a public event so that's one of the things that i think makes io more and more interesting to tune into um, because you know, I do think that Google do some very interesting things, um, and I actually look forward to this presentation. Yeah, I am always interested to see that. You're guaranteed to get some, some, like I said, some boring things that you wonder why they're there. Some things that are um, interesting from a, an impact standpoint, where they will talk about something new that's coming in the, the next version of Android, and you'll say... You know, oh, that's interesting. Although I feel like with Android and iOS, we've left the period of 
um, oh my God, they added 80 new features that totally we need and that we've been clamoring for. And we, you know, it's much more sort of the steady development of it. Um, and the fact that Google has changed their version numbering to reduce the gap, perceived gaps between this year's model and last year's model, um, because they got tired of getting beat up over, you know, it doesn't even run Android 4. So they're like, fine, we will just do 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, and we'll call them all Android 4 and, you know, if you want to cite it more specifically, you'll you'll look like a jerk. So, ha we win. I mean, that that's actually actually a Google strategy. So, you know, that that stuff will come through and be interesting. Um, although I'd say mildly interesting, there'll be those moments where you'll be like, oh, that's a thing that Apple does, and there'll be other moments where you're like, oh, Apple doesn't do that because those inevitably happen. And then there will be some announcements that we're not really expecting, where we will all be like whoa, what just happened? That's crazy. And they're, they're, all of those things are, are guaranteed for a Google I.O. keynote. Um, I'm really interested to see the intersection of Android and Chrome OS because I feel like, you know, Google's pattern lately seems to be you do lots of crazy stuff and then at some point you evaluate the crazy stuff and you start to decide what works and what doesn't and you kind of bring it together into a strategy. And I feel like Android with Android and Chrome OS, we've got this strange kind of question about what is Chrome OS for? What is Android for? Do they do they connect? Why do you have these different operating systems? Um, you've got a, a, a computer operating system without apps and then you've got uh, a mobile operating system with apps and they've talked about bringing them together. And I wonder if that I'd like to see their, their current thinking on that. Like how close do they come together? Does Chrome OS combine with Android and just sort of have an Android computer experience versus an Android tablet and phone experience? I don't know, but I'm, I'm interested to see so much of it with all of these keynotes is reading the tea leaves of like, what are they thinking? Not, not even so much the specific announcements as much as the, what that those announcements tell us some things about their philosophy. I, I mean, I do every, Apple keynote is like that too, which is like, what what does Apple think of the Mac? One of the ways we find that out is what they say about what they're doing on the Mac versus what they're doing on iOS. And Google, this is a good way to get that read out of Google. And sometimes you can't, Google, it's harder to read it from their product announcements because they make lots of crazy product announcements and it's hard to judge whether they're meaningful or just another crazy project that they thought they would try. Yeah. So... Do you have any kind of feeling for what you think might come out? I mean, we, I know we we were talking about this a little bit on Clockwise last week. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've kind of got my eye on something TV related, you know, more on, yeah. more on Google TV. I do like the idea, and, and I am also very interested in seeing about where Chrome and Android begin to overlap, you know, if at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and they've kind of gone both directions with that. So it'll be. Mm-hmm. It seems like right now they're coalescing a little bit more. But will that continue, or will they say, "No, no, we rethought it. <laughs> forget it. Forget about that." <laughs> that could that could entirely happen. The TV stuff is really interesting, and and I would say beyond that, also um, home automation stuff. They've got uh, they've got Nest, and when they bought Dropcam, they put them inside Nest. So I wonder if Nest is officially Google's like incubator for all home tech, and will there be a Nest segment, and will they talk about what they're doing with Nest, and is that confused with what Google is doing, or is Google going to say, "No, all of our home automation." stuff is here. It's part of this Nest thing. We're going to call it whatever we're going to call it. Because I think that's one of Google's weaknesses is sometimes you get confused about, you know, well, what's your initiative? Is it this one that's over here or this one that's way over here? Um, 
So uh, some clarity on what Nest is doing and what their ecosystem is for home automation, I think, would be good. And the TV stuff related to that sort of, um, you know, you've got Chromecast, you've got uh, app platforms, Google TV, Android TV, you know, all these different things. What What's the next step there? You know, are they going to build their own box? Are they going to have like a partner that's demoing a box that's going to come out? What What's their take on it? Is voice control the big thing for them? You know, or is it something else? I, I just, it, it'll be interesting to see because um, sometimes it's unclear, like I said, from the signal, <laughs> like, hey, a product, what does that tell us? And with Google, it's hard to tell sometimes. It is interesting when you look at some of their products and realize how much they compete with themselves. And, well, and I wonder if that's something that is is uh, a little bit inbuilt in their corporate culture. Like, you know, you mentioned a couple, right? So if you think, like, for years, Android didn't have Chrome. It had a different web browser, just called Browser. Like, you think you've got Google TV and you've got Chromecast. Like, in theory, that should be one product, you know, like how Apple have AirPlay. Yep. And I know that Chromecast is more, but it should be one product. It, you, there should not be two products here. Um, like, it is very interesting to see how some of that stuff works. And, and I agree, like, if they do something home automation and it's not all under the Nest umbrella, that would be madness. Like, mm-hmm. pick something. Just pick one thing, give it all one name, and get people to work together rather than working in their own silos, which it seems to be there is a little bit too much of that going on at yeah. Google. At least that's how it appears to be from the outside. I think Google... Uh, culturally, the biggest difference between Apple and Google is probably the idea that Google um, Google has these different groups that are doing different things. There is no, you know, it's let a thousand flowers bloom kind of thing. Like, we will have crazy stuff happening over here and over there. It's completely, I would say, I'd say the history of Google is uh, it, it, it's become more disciplined over time. It was originally completely undisciplined in terms of you know, what's our corporate strategy was a lot of brilliant engineers making things up and trying things out, and then we'll figure out what to do with them later. And, and that, that is still culturally part of Google. And if they, if they completely lock that down, um, I don't, I feel like they wouldn't be Google, but at, at the same time, sometimes you look at Google and you get frustrated and you say, can you guys be act like grownups for a minute? Not, not, I, you know, not, I don't want to clamp off all of your creativity because what one of the things that makes you an interesting company is that you do crazy stuff and try to see where it leads you. Good for you. The world doesn't need everybody to behave like Apple and be completely locked down. So that that's great. But there are those moments where you're like, God, will you guys just settle on something to do on TVs? Will you guys settle on what you want to do in home automation? Will you settle on your operating system strategy? please right and and that's the that's the give and take i think of managing google and when when um when eric schmidt stepped aside um and and larry came came back into a more active role i feel like that was sort of what was implied was we're going to try to lock this down a little bit more and i'm going to try to be a little more steve jobs like and um and uh, give us a little more focus and a little more discipline here. And I'm not sure, I mean, Google's such a huge company and they have so many projects that I think adding more of that to the equation is good for them because it frustrates the market, it frustrates their partners. Um, But at the same time, I wouldn't want them to be so locked down that they became another Apple because it's good to have Google be the wacky, you know, the place where wacky ideas come from because some of those wacky ideas are going to be great and I'd hate to stifle them. 
Should we talk about Google a little bit about how we feel about them and use them? Yeah, I, I mean, when we were talking about previewing a Google I.O., and I guess I should say that we're going to delay clockwise this week as well um, from its usual Wednesday slot, and, and we're going to do it after the Google I.O. keynote, and we're, we're going to have um, a couple of uh, smart people who know a lot about um, Google stuff, especially Android. Um, Andy Anako and Anje Tomic are going to be our guests um, so it'll be a little later than usual, but we're going to do it after the Google I.O. keynote. But every time we talk about Google on shows that are populated by people who focus so much on Apple, you know, you definitely get feedback of like, oh, Google, I hate them. They're the enemy. Just like with Microsoft in the old days, right? Oh, they're, they're bad. They're the enemy. Why, why would you, you know, uh, they, they're just gathering all our information and, you know, all, all of those arguments. Um, and I, I find it funny. Um, and, I, and I put it in our, our, our document that we used to plan the show, our Google Doc if you will, because that's where it is, uh, that I use Google stuff all the time, and I think you do too. And and, and I find out, I, I actually, um, Derek Walter wrote a piece, uh, who's a freelancer who actually writes for uh, IDG's Android site, Greenbot, um, among other places, that, about how he's actually an Android user who's, who's going back to the iPhone because he loves Google's apps on the iPhone. And that gives him the best of both, which is he gets to he gets the iOS ecosystem plus he gets to use Google's services, and you know I, I use a lot of Google services too, and I don't I don't have a problem. I don't feel like it's an either or, but I think it's interesting that uh, for some people it really is like you know Google is the enemy. You can't use anything involving Google, um, and I I am I am firmly in Google's ecosystem. As a Mac and iOS user, I, I am I am across, and I think you are too, right? Yep, I both use and love Gmail. Um, yep. I, I use we use the Google Apps and a personal Gmail. Uh, yep. I use Google Maps, even though I've been using the Apple Maps more recently because of the Apple Watch directions. But I'm just excited for the for whenever Google have a good app. But that might be like two foot. 2.0 if they really want to make it something that's worthwhile because I don't think they could do too much of WatchKit but um, so I've been using the Apple Maps more even though I prefer Google Maps mm-hmm. um, I use Google Docs I love Google Docs like a lot of our business is run using Drive yeah. it's actually you know, I, I'm a big fan I'm just a big fan of it um, and I have this like this feeling about about how I am with Google products, and and I think it's something that people need to consider how they feel either way. Like I am a firm believer that I get genuine use from Google stuff, right? That the the products that I use, I find very useful, and I've tried competitors, you know, because I'm a nerd and I try stuff out. And con- the competitors of Gmail, Maps, and Docs, in my opinion, are inferior. I agree. I've tried so much other stuff. They're and better Google than they used the to be. Best. It used to be no competition at all. But now, yeah. now there's competition. Some. Uh, the yeah, iOS, I don't, have you used the iOS apps, the, especially on the iPad, the Google iOS apps for, for doc sheets? And I mean, yeah. I don't do slides, but they're, they're really good. They like, have some really foibles good. that really annoy sure. me, but, but they're, they're good. I use them all the time, actually. I mean, and that's one of the things. Like I, you know, I, I've gone back and forth trying to use uh, iCloud, right? And pe- I know people are going to come and say iCloud on the web is so good. Yes, but there is one massive, massive fundamental problem with trying to collaborate with people using iCloud. Try and do it on iOS. Just try because you can't. Can't do it. It's not possible for Jason you to share with me a document and me make changes to that document on iOS that you will see. 
All huh. I can do is download the document and make changes, and they're offline. It's it, I <sighs> cannot. I just don't understand. Drives me insane. Well, you know the and, um the the Microsoft apps are are very good on iOS, but it's the same story that um you can you can edit a document and save it back, but it is not and go back into your your uh, your OneDrive, um, and other people can see that there are changes. But it's not the same. It is not. Um, it is not that sort of completely seamless experience that you get with what with what Google is doing. So obviously, I also use Google Search, right? I, I feel like I always yep. miss that one off. But yes, of course, I use Google Search. So you know, I feel like I I really enjoy using the products, and I get a lot of use out of them. So I personally am happy for Google to take my data and create ads that they'll serve back to me. I know that's the trade-off, and I'm happy with that. I feel like you, you just need to think about it. Like, yeah, they're doing all this stuff, and people think that they're like big evil, and they're like creeping on you, and they're gonna change. They're gonna try and ruin your life. People feel that way genuinely, and if you feel that way, that's fine. But I get a lot of use out of Google's products, so I'm happy with that trade-off. Like, that's fine for me. Like, I don't care. Well, like, I, I would be happy to pay <laughs> and and that's just not in their business model but i mean it is in some places but i would be happy to pay and i don't i don't love the fact that it's that it's just all free and we want we want your data but i'm kind of okay with that trade off like you are because i feel like they've got the best products you know, like but like the best products and i don't feel like I, what they're what they're asking in exchange is so compromised that i can't i can't pay that price because it's a fairly painless thing right now and i realize there are lots of arguments to be made here about well that's how they get you and they're driving other people out of the market that that would be better this is all true and yet you know boy those products the products are good and i don't use them because they're free i use them because they're good yeah they 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 are just the best like I'm not one of the people that would rip a thermostat off a wall because Google, like, <laughs> you know, and it's a joke, but like when, when Nest were bought by Google, there were people that were saying, I'm taking it down. Like, what do you think they're going to do to you? Like, they're not evil. No, they're just a company that makes money by selling ads. I don't understand, like, why people are so terrified of them, and I can't wait for the email oh, yeah. that I'm going to get. But I just don't understand it. Like, if you don't like that, like, if you don't like them looking at your data and selling you ads, that's fine. But it's, what are you scared of? Like, that I don't understand. Like, the fear of they must be an evil company. They do things that are not good, right? And Google have been caught up and they've been dragged through the courts, right? That is true. Like, they've done stuff like um, they were doing this weird thing with Wi-Fi, right, by using Google Street View or something. Uh There are loads of things they do that aren't good. But you know who also does really terrible things? Apple do really terrible things, right? They do things that they get dragged through the Supreme Court of Justice for because they price fix on e-books. Like, that is not good stuff. Supreme Court of Justice is not a thing, but okay. That's fine. I'm you're not, go you're with not that. an American yet. So, we haven't we haven't forcibly moved you to our shores. So, I'll let you have it. Pip, but pip. do you know do you understand what I'm saying, uh, right? Yeah. Like all Co- big companies, companies do bad things. Yeah. And, and it doesn't necessarily provide or any any uh, prove that they're intentionally malicious. They you know, yes, Apple has done some interesting things. Uh Google has done some interesting things. I I think 
Yeah, we can quibble about some of some of Google's stuff. They're they're not saints. You're right. Apple's not a bunch of saints either. Um, in the end, yeah, for me, I mean, every consumer has the right. You absolutely have the right to not like them and not want to use them. But I think you know the flip side of that is that we have the right to use their products if we like them. And I do like them. And I, I just have not gotten caught up. But you know what? I I our friend John Syracuse won't buy an Xbox because it's made by Microsoft. He just won't because it's Microsoft. He won't do it. And I get I get that on one level, but on the other level I'm like, you know, I just don't I just don't care <laughs> enough about that. I just don't get caught up in that because I, I think and I think it is what you said, which is um you could demonize them, but uh, I, mean, I hate to say let he who is without sin cast the first stone, but it's like these are big corporations. Apple Apple may be better than Google. But they're not without sin. Um, th- there are probably other products that you use from companies that you don't like, but you use them because you like them. But you can f- you can afford to get away with not using Google's products or not using not using Microsoft's products. That's fine. I just have never gotten that. It's like I'm not. No, I'm not going to buy any blood diamonds. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But for something like Google stuff, it's like I think it's good. It doesn't creep me out when I use it. I, you know, I. It, it it's the it feels like the best in class, and so I you know the, and that is why I'm using it is not because it's free but because it's good like I said, so I'm not going to tear my nest off the wall and I do have a nest. The reason I would tear my nest off the wall is if there's a war over home automation between Google and Apple, and it means that like my nest stuff just can never integrate with my other my other stuff in my home. That's the part that, that, that actually really does bother me about the Apple Google relationship is that they're fighting for turf. And I feel like consumers, including me are going to be potentially hurt by that. I don't want to live in a world where you have to, you have to think about what your long-term smartphone platform preference is before you buy a light bulb. And we, we have home, we've had home automation in the, uh, in the show notes for weeks. Now it's our new Kindle of the topic. We never get to maybe next week. Um, We'll just keep saying that uh, forever. But uh, but that was one of the points I wanted to make there, and I, I can make it briefly here, which is um, when when you get these these format wars, uh, the cons- the consumers all get hurt. And I, I'm really concerned that we're headed that way with some of this home automation stuff. Now, fortunately, Google is not like Apple in the sense that Google is hap- happy to put its stuff on Apple's platforms, and Apple has no reason to do the reverse for lots of good reasons. You know, they they sell they sell hardware that's they're in a different business than google so i understand that but that doesn't mean google stuff is operable on ios and that's great but still the point is you shouldn't have to buy a car or a light bulb or a thermostat thinking well does this commit me to using one you know using an iphone or the reverse which is i can't buy that light bulb because i use an iphone that's crazy but i worry that that may be where we're going with some of this stuff so that's when i would get angry at google and apple is is if they start erecting barriers like that that's 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 where my interest in google services and my reason why i might uh, rip the nest off of my wall uh it would be stuff like that where if they're like oh yeah uh, thanks for buying a nest but we decided that you know it's just not going to work with any of your other stuff that would that would be where it would get me and it would be some sort of spiteful you know cooperation competition thing between google and apple Oh man, I'm worried about the email I'm going to get. I got on my high horse. This one oh, of the good. things I got on my I, I would, high horse I, about. I would love. Yes, you you are you're way up there on that yeah. horse. Um, it's it's a who, who's on the pillar in Trafalgar Square? <laughs> Is that Nelson? Nelson? Nelson's column. Is he on a horse? 
or no. not. He's just standing there. He should get a horse. Yep. All right, that would be a high horse, is what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. But, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. No, just, no I want to hear. That frustrates me. I want to hear from people. I mean, look, if you don't, I'm not saying please deluge us with email, but if, if you would like to make points about why you don't use Google services or why you do and don't think it's a problem, I would love to hear those because I think there are perfectly good arguments. I, I What I would say is um, don't try to prove that we shouldn't because I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in you telling me why what I'm doing is wrong. I'm interested in why it's wrong for you. Uh, that that that's the distinction I would make there. But I am inter- I think there are lots of valid reasons why people would be like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to use Google stuff or Microsoft stuff or whoever stuff because X. And I think that would be interesting because I think there are probably some very interesting reasons why people don't or do use services by you know if you're a, if you're an Apple person and you're using Google stuff, why or or, or or why not if you're not? I think I think that's perfectly good there. But yeah, don't don't get don't get mad at Mike. Um, I, I, I'd like to hear other perspectives, but, um, Mm. all the, you know, it's a personal choice about whether you're okay with it or not. And I'm okay with it because I, like I said, because their products are good. That, that's the bottom line for me. I I hate to say it. I mean, again, I'm not going to use blood diamonds, but, but the products are good and they work for me and I don't feel like I'm giving up. I'm happy to spend money. I am spending a hundred dollars a year on, on Adobe Creative Cloud Photoshop and I'm spending a hundred dollars a year on Office 365, but um, and I would do that for Google stuff, but I don't have to because that's not their business model, and their stuff is good, so I'm still using yeah. it. I know that we pay for Google Apps email for Relay. Oh, good. We 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 pay for that. Right, that's, that's like five dollars per user per month or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we we pay for that. So yeah, see, they do have stuff, and we pay they for do. it. But they do. I don't um, pay for that, but that's because I'm grandfathered because I had a Google Apps account before they started charging for it. But yeah. um, that's the only reason that I'm not paying for it is that. I don't have to. <laughs> they said, you don't have to pay. It's fine. But otherwise, I would. Talking about email, should we get on to Ask Upgrade? And that means our Let's friends do it. at MailRoute. Oh, yes. Yes, our friends at MailRoute uh, have sponsored Ask Upgrade against this week. We love MailRoute. Speaking of mail, so I do use Google Apps for domains. But before my mail comes to me, it's already passed through MailRoute. And MailRoute has taken out all the bad stuff before it even gets to Google. The bad stuff is gone. It's in a it's in a holding bin. It it, it can stink up the the holding bin all it likes, but I don't have to see it. Um, and and it does do a better job than Google spam filters. I, when I've turned MailRoute off, I'm like, what is happening? Because Google spam filters don't catch the stuff that MailRoute catches. Uh, this is how MailRoute works. It you you sign up. It's a risk free trial, no credit card necessary. You change your MX records, which are the things that tell uh, mail servers where to send mail for a particular domain. You point those at MailRoute instead of your mail server, and that's it. Your mailbox and your hardware are completely protected. Uh, all the mail goes to MailRoute first. MailRoute uses its intelligence software to sort through your mail and say, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. They see a lot of spam. They see a lot of viruses. They see a lot of email bounces. They know how to detect it. That stuff gets put in a holding bin. You can get an email every day or every week that says, here's what we filtered out. You can check it if you want to see if there's something that uh, you did want to receive. And with one click, you can have delivered or even whitelist the sender so that all their mail forevermore will be passed through to you um, and not go through the filters, which is really great. So you set you set that all up and that's it. You don't have to install any hardware or software. You don't have to uh, put anything on your email server that's doing auto filtering. MailRoute does all that for you. And then 
it connects to your server, passes all the good mail through. It's easy to set up, reliable, trusted by large institutions like universities and corporations. Um, if you're a desktop user, you'll find the interface simple and effective, like I do. Um, and if you are an email administrator or IT professional, we've said it before. They've got all the buzzwords. They've got all the tools you need. There's an API so you can do account management. And there's support for all of that stuff. LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging. Mailbagging? Mailbagging. Outbound relay, everything that you'd want from the people who are handling your email, and the good stuff gets passed along to your server. So, like I said, risk-free trial, no credit card required. It's simple, effective, there's no good reason not to try it. All listeners to Upgrade get 10% off for the lifetime of your account, not for six months, not for three months, not for seven days. 10% off for a lifetime, but you have to go to mailroute.net slash upgrade. Now, that's MailRoute.net slash Upgrade. And thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring. Hashtag AskUpgrade. So we have some Ask Upgrade for you. Mm. Uh, for both of us. This comes from Dave first. Um, how much do Bluetooth headphones affect the Apple Watch battery? Jason, have you d- tried this yet? I haven't. I, I don't even have any Bluetooth headphones. I do have. I bought some Bluetooth headphones. I have used them briefly with the Apple Watch. Um, I don't know. I imagine that they have some effect. I don't know if that was why Apple, you know, we had a whole bunch of people say, well, Apple, the, the, the battery lasts so long because it's going gonna, it's gonna to reduce battery life over time, which is true. Maybe it's something like Bluetooth headphones. That's true. I haven't, I haven't done a battery test. Like while listening to a playlist on Bluetooth headphones, how long does the Apple Watch last? I'm sure it has an effect because everything does. But I don't, I don't know the details of it. I just I bought the Bluetooth headphones specifically because I wanted to try them with the Apple Watch and I have tried them. But when I've gone running, I generally like to bring my phone with me because then I get the GPS tracking. So I and I like to listen to podcasts and really the right now music playback is kind of what's what it's built for when you just got the watch. So I need to test or test it more. Um, as an aside, what I found is that I love the Bluetooth headphones when I'm doing stuff in the kitchen because I would always get my uh, my wired headphones uh, would get yanked out of my ears because they would snag on a, a knob on one of the drawers. And now I use the, the Bluetooth headphones when I'm uh, doing stuff like uh, cooking something or emptying the dishwasher and it's they're great. So I'm glad I bought them, but um, but I haven't spent enough time with them on the watch. And now we have... From Danny, um, have you noticed any digital crown stickiness in your day-to-day? Um, Danny notices it after workouts, mainly on the sport edition. I haven't. Have you? Not at all. Nothing. No, I, I mean, I saw, what was it? Was it David Spark? Somebody said that they had, they had gotten it where it started to feel gritty. And the, the, the stated instructions are basically run it under warm water and spin it. And it'll like wash terrific, out. But, but, you know. It's it's covered like you know people won't believe me that you can take a shower with the Apple Watch but it's in the Apple Watch manual to run the crown under warm water and spin the dial around and just get the junk out so do that ah uh, um I did notice something and I wanted to mention this uh because it, we're talking about digital crown where my mind was kind of twisted a little bit a couple of days ago you know when you do things with the digital crown like for example if you zoom out really far um on the app screen and let go it like pings back into focus right so you're like scrolling scrolling and then the apps fly back at you for some reason my brain assumed that the crown spam back oh interesting 
that's a little uh, little uh, mind hack they're doing on you. Yeah, but it doesn't. Like the same with like no, it doesn't. Software the same can't with, like, control the crown. The crown is f- entirely no. physical. The same with like the rubber banding. Mm-hmm. For some reason, in my mind, the it felt like, as it probably should, that the crown was having a manipulation over the software, and that the software was manipulating the crown. And it was just this very interesting thought. I was like, "Hang on a minute, that doesn't move." No, but but and it was just very yeah. interesting to me to to see that and and like, okay, you you did something very smart here because you found a way. Because like when I'm looking at it and I'm spinning it, it doesn't. But again, like feels to me like there's resistance of some description that increases. That is not the case. No, but that's how I feel, and I find that very interesting. I think um, also the way the way it. They expect that if you if you zoom out, then you're going to let go, that you're not going to hold on to the crown. And so the way – after a certain amount of time, you're, you're going to let go. And so the way it works is you scroll it back, and if you then hold your finger there and, and on the crown, you have to wait like half a second, and then it snaps back. So the illusion is broken, but that's what they're intending is they think most people aren't going to do that. They're going to scroll back, and then they're going to let go. And then the snapback effect makes you feel like – the metaphor is still intact. But if you hold on to it, which I have to be honest, I have never done. <laughs> uh, it to- that totally does happen. It's funny. Well, that, that's the power. It's just like with the um, the haptic stuff um, it, it, on the, on the um, Force Touch trackpad. It's your, you don't even realize that you're buying into the metaphor until something happens that breaks the metaphor. And and the the crown is a, that's a good example where it um there are certain cases I think the rubber band on scrolling is a good a more likely example right but even there what they try to do is just stop it so you keep pushing the crown and it just doesn't scroll and then you let go and it rubber bands but in reality it's not that you letting go it's you stopping the scroll and if you hold on to the crown the 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 magic is broken a little bit cool very cool mind control. So this comes from Doc uh, Elliott on Twitter. Do you use Mac macro software? And if so, what do you use? Why don't you answer this one, Mike? So I have used Keyboard Maestro in the past to make like a really rudimentary soundboard. Like it was madness. Pressing a different function key played off a sound that was coming through. It was this crazy setup I had of a mixer. And I did it for that. But And I also use, I don't know if it counts. I use Hazel um, to basically to file photos for me this is like a a a thing that federico came up with in dropbox i'll put a link in the show notes so like dropbox automatically uploads pictures from my iphone they go into a camera uploads folder hazel takes them puts them into folders by month and date like month and year it's very cool um and i also use it to do some stuff like uh skype call recorder that i use to record the shows or to make backups of the shows it keeps a history of all the Yep, all of, all of the calls, and I have it dump those out after a couple of months when oh. they're a couple of months old. That's all I use, um, kind of macro automation e wise. Do you use anything different? Yeah, I I um I have grand plans of using more of this stuff, and I and I just haven't. Um, and so maybe again, I'll make some grand plans. Maybe I will sometime. I would say the things that I use that are most like this are LaunchBar, which has some um, ways to kick off. Uh, scripts and it has some various actions that it will do. I'm not sure it counts, but I'm going to throw it in there. And then I'm actually, I have to say, I'm using Automator um, 
to do some stuff, mostly because I know people, and I think I might have mentioned this in a previous show, I know people who are programmers. We we know people who are programmers. And oftentimes they come up with these very clever um very clever solutions to problems that involve shell scripting or terminal commands because that's where they live and that's how they think. And I look at those and think, okay, I understand these terminal commands. I would rather not type them every time. And so what I'll end up doing is writing, uh, is building an automator service, which is something that you can basically get with a keyboard shortcut or a contextual menu. And um, I will I will wrap the... Um, either the terminal command in that or I will wrap it in an Apple script that generates the terminal command and then fires it off. And I have a bunch of those. I have one for a thing that Dr. Drang wrote that's about Southwest Airlines uh, uh, iCal files that they send you for your confirmation, fixing them so that they're better and adding them to your calendar. And then uh, Mark Arment uh, wrote a... uh, a script about MP3 encoding for podcasts that I adapted, um, and there's another command line thing that uh, Marco Marco did, and, and I built that into a, a service. And so all of those I can now when I'm when I'm building a podcast, I can select a couple of files and do a keyboard shortcut, and it turns them into um, from MP3s or AACs into waves because I need to use those for editing. And then I've got a couple of other keyboard shortcuts or um, submenus based on a control click. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm doing. I wouldn't say Automator is really a macro u- utility, but those are the automation things that I'm doing right now. I keep telling myself to use Keyboard Maestro and Text Expander, and, and I have most of these things. I use Text things. Expander. Of course, I, yeah, I use Text Expander. I, I have it. I don't use it very much, and I don't know why. I just, it, 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 it's, and I've got a bunch of clippings in BB Edit, and I don't use those either. So I realized the other day that I have a keyboard shortcut that if I've got a URL on my clipboard and I select text in BB Edit, I do a keyboard shortcut and and it makes the markdown link structure for me, and I never use it. I just type them out manually. I think there's I've just got a block there. So I, I'm recommitting now. I will try in the next few weeks to uh, look at some of my workflow and identify the places where I could. I think I could save time and, and make my life better. But right now, I've got access to all this stuff, and yet I'm not really using it. It really does blow my mind that you don't use Text Expander. Like that is just one of well, those ones where I'm like, somebody, you're a writer. Somebody out there, somebody out there is going to um, be mad because they they I, they sent me an email saying stop talking about it. But I'll just say again, I type really fast, and that means that I feel less needed, you know, less of a need to um, to use Text Expander because I type really fast. So I'll just type it, and I realize that's kind of insane, and yet there it is is I, I keep trying to think of phrases that I use over and over again that I could just put into an expansion and I just, I can't come up with them and then I move on. And I, I, I use text expander all the time for live blogging. When we were doing live blogging, in a te- especially in a text document, um, I, I used it all the time because it was really great in that, in that scenario because you just type a couple of letters and things would happen and you were typing really fast and furiously, so that was good. But in my day-to-day kind of writing life, I have a hard time imagining things that would require that kind of thing. And like I said, I think that my perception is that I wouldn't save as quite as much time because I could just type it. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. It's great. And I have a couple things in there, but it's just, I, you know, like Keyboard Maestro, I, I, I've been writing about that for ages. And, I, you know, I just have never, it's just never happened. So maybe someday. 
Adrian wants to know, how do you use Overcast playlists? So for me, I have um, an all unplayed list, right? So it has everything that's unplayed. And I have some priority podcasts in there. So um, they basically come to the top, right? So I have a few shows in there that I want to be at the top so I know when they're there so they don't get lost in the shuffle because I have lots and lots of stuff. I don't listen to everything that's in my uh, all unfinished. Some stuff just gets deleted. You know, I pick and choose some shows. Um, I have a classics playlist uh, for some episodes of old shows that I love and want to keep in case the mood ever strikes and I want to listen to them. Um, that includes certain episodes and just certain shows in general, right? Like, uh, you look nice today used to be in there, but it seems like things might be changing there. I don't know what's happening, but it's very exciting. Um, I also have playlists for shows that I enjoy that I have a back catalog that I want to work through. So I put them in there oh. as well, which is quite cool. I have one playlist. <laughs> okay. It's called The Playlist. <laughs> the Playlist. The Playlist. Okay. In honor of the magazine and other things named by Marco. The, <laughs> it is The Playlist. And it has, there's some priority ones that are, that are, you know, because you can set a priority. So I've got some that are prioritized and then the rest of them are all just in there. So I have a single playlist and I will, I will slide things up and down and I've got stuff in there that I've been meaning to listen to. I think about creating, um, like for, uh, for the flop house there, I've got a bunch of old episodes of the flop house downloaded because I haven't listened to all of them yet. I'm very slowly going through the ones that I never heard, um, because, I don't want to, you know, it's going to be sad when I'm, I, I've run out. But right now I've got extra episodes of The Flophouse. I've thought about creating a classics playlist like that. The problem is that just so often I want to say, well, this this podcast has 10 minutes left. What do I want to have come next? And I'll order them like that. And I want there to be some of those classic episodes hovering down there for either when I'm in the mood or when I'm out of the stuff that I that I really want to listen to, and I I, I want to move on to the classic thing because I've run out. And if you I can have them in different... two places, though, I guess I suppose which I do, which I do. I suppose, like for example, I have a flop house playlist for the same reason, but they still live in the all unfinished as well, in case I'm flying around and see something. But if I just want to see flop house shows, they just go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll explore that. But right now, single playlist, but it works for me. It works. That's why I use Overcast is not only do, do, do I think the sound effects are better than any other podcast player I've, I've listened to in terms of, you know, being able to listen at more than 1.0 <laughs> speed, which I was never able to do on other podcast apps because of the uh, weird artifacts. And I, I, they're not there, but also the way the playlist is set up works for me. So that's why I use Overcast. Troy wants to know, what is the best way uh, to keep the Apple Watch from lighting up at the movie theater? <laughs> Turn it off? I guess. Uh, or, or put it in, in the battery mode or something. Um, yeah, if you're... If you first off, almost everything on the Apple Watch is, is a black background with a little bit of stuff on it. So I think you could probably have a face... That was like the like the extra large or modular with red as the color and no complications, just the time. You could probably switch to that face when you're in the movie theater and nobody would notice if your watch came on. Um, it's only going to come on when you move your wrist. It's not going to come on when you get a notification. So I'm sure you could minimize it. But yeah, if you absolutely don't want it coming on, I would say you put it in the you put it in the the you know battery saver mode and then reboot it when you leave the theater, or you wear something with sleeves and you just make sure that it's under the sleeve. I think that's it. 
But try yeah. the the red because you know the red wavelengths don't don't uh, broadcast so much, and it, the, the, it's the black background on the OLED screen. So it's going to be emitting very little light if you do it that way. So that might be a thing. You can set any number of of different presets for watch faces, even of the same face with different settings. So create a movie theater preset, maybe. And I guess do not disturb is your friend, I suppose. Yeah, sure. To stop it from lighting up when it stop yeah, bothering you. Yeah, but yeah I, stop I, it lighting up, I don't I, know what you'd do. I think the issue is is just if you you know, you move your wrist a little bit and it turns on oh. because it thinks it's, you know, wrist raised, but you're actually just hiding covering your eyes because it's a horror movie and you're afraid of what's gonna happen next. That that would be annoying. I think it's very bright though. It's not. I, I um having been to a couple movies since I got it, it's not i I've not found it to be an issue at all. Make sure your brightness is down. There you go. That's one tip. Yeah. Just go into the watch setting, watch app on your phone. Turn your brightness all the way down. That's going to help a lot. And finally today, Thomas wants to know, uh, which grocery apps would you recommend for the iPhone and watch has to be able to oh sync my. between two people? So uh, I have a suggestion that doesn't fulfill everything in this list. So um, I have an app that I use. It's not necessarily a grocery lap, app, uh, grocery list app, but it's a shared it's a, it's, a, it's a list app that allows you to do shared lists. It's called Silo, and it's only on the iPhone. They, they don't have a watch app, so I can't help you with that part. Um, th- th- I don't know if there are any. I'm sure there are, but I've not come across any. But Silo is the best joint list app that I've tried, and I tried a bunch. Um, and me and my girlfriend have some shared lists in there, but they don't yet have a, a watch component. But they do have an iPad app. All right. I have um yeah again I don't I haven't done shopping lists on the Apple Watch either. Um my wife and I are still using Grocery IQ, which is not great, but it works. It syncs shopping lists between us and lets you scan in barcodes and is attached to a database of various products at the at the market. I'm uh I keep meaning to do a a final like official test of our groceries which I had recommended to me, but I haven't tried it enough to move us over to it so i can't endorse it yet and um and then also i had any list recommended to me which is another grocery list app that has a little bit of um of meal planning on top of it um, which i'm not sure works with how we shop but i'm i'm looking into that too so i'd say stay tuned um still using grocery iq because it works but um not 100 percent satisfied with it and looking around uh it would be cool my my wife does most of the shopping though, and she doesn't have an Apple Watch, so it would be less of a big deal for her. I think that you know, taking out the iPhone and using it as a shopping list though, that is a thing we do. We absolutely do that. I do use Clear when I'm in the grocery store, but you know, you then kind of have to move things around, and it doesn't work too well. But yeah, hey ho. All of those will be in the show notes along with a bunch of other stuff that we've spoken about today and you can find all of that over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 38. If you want to find us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can find Jason's great work over at sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And don't forget, you can ask questions, but also send us follow-up if you like through the hashtag ask upgrade we love to see your stuff there but you know if you want to send us tweets or if you really want to send us an email you can find out all that information out on our uh, show notes page as well did you see how i how i waited that yeah if you really want to send us email you can i i, I you know go for it go for yeah, it if you, like. you can also it's see our show there. notes uh probably by scrolling in the podcast app you're listening to right now 
most definitely, but you do not see an email link there. You, you, know, nope. you do have to go to the website to find that, so you can do that if you if you so desire. Mm-hmm. But we'll be back next time. Um, I'm sure we'll have some Google stuff to talk about and maybe have some predictions as well for WWDC. Until then, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Upgrade. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, MailRoute, GoToMeeting, and Hover, and we'll be back next time. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs> <laughs>